This is Banks and Commentary. I'm your host, Candace Banks, and welcome back to the show. So if you've been watching the market right now, you probably realize that real estate is going absolutely insane. If you are a buyer or a seller in this market, my friend Kyle Sterling has some tips for you. This is such an informative episode. You really have to listen, get out your pen and paper, because this one is one that you want to take notes on. All right, let's go ahead and get into the episode. For me, it's faith and finances. So I prayed on it and I saved on it. Hey, Kyle, how's it going? Everything is going well, Candace. How are you doing today? I am doing good. I'm doing good. I know you're busy in the real estate game right now. It's hot. It's hot in the market. It is. It is a very interesting time it's a great time to be a realtor it's a great time to be a home buyer and seller um the market is just moving and so whatever aspect folks are playing like myself i'm a realtor um it's an amazing time to be in this um industry and this business Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on Nice, nice. So we're going to get into that a little bit because I know I have questions, the audience probably has questions, and I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Um, speaking of real estate, do you mind talking a little bit about where your real estate journey began? Okay. So I started in real estate in 2018. Um, at that time, I was working in corporate America, and I had purchased my first home in May of 2018 Mm -hmm. and decided that I wanted a career change. Um, I was like, well, maybe being a realtor simply because I enjoyed my process of purchasing my home. And so um, got licensed in June of 2018 and took it from there. And Mm -hmm. so it was a matter of just taking the course and creating my own business and really creating my own brand and becoming like, well, attempting to become this household brand name. When you think about real estate and realtors um, being top of mind for folks in the DMV. Nice. That's good. And what went into kind of coming from corporate America to creating that business and the brand went into what went into that from 2018 to now 2021? A lot. (laughs) Um, it did a lot and and it really becomes one the individual I was in 2018 is not who I am today Mm. and so when we think about what did my network what did the people around me think of me when they heard my name in 2018 versus what they think of me when they hear my name today it's totally different and so back then it was very much so Oh, Kyle, the funny guy, Kyle who likes to party, <laughs> Kyle who likes to have a good time. Um, well, how would I ch- transition that brand to Kyle, someone I would trust with helping me purchase or sell my home? Mm-hmm. And so your personal life and your professional life and everything that you pretty much advertise about it um, to a certain extent has to be a reflection of someone who's trustworthy, someone who's um, smart and someone who knows real estate really well. And so I was very meticulous about what I posted on social media, the conversations that I took and um, partake in, as well as um, just 
continuously sharing the knowledge that I had about real estate with the rest of the world until folks really um, solidified in their minds that I was a real estate expert. Nice. That's good. That's good. And then you talked about kind of going from corporate America to then going into real estate. So you said your your home body home buying journey made you want to kind of go into real estate. Were there any yeah. other things that solidified that career change for you? Well, yeah, uh, several. One, I hated my job. <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew that I wanted to do something different than what I was currently doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started taking acting classes. I was like, well, maybe uh-huh. I should be acting. Uh-huh. And then I, whatever it took, I was going to do to be able to ch- transition. Mm-hmm. And so I, after I got my license, I probably stayed in corporate for maybe two and a half more months. Mm-hmm. And then I quit and I quit my job even before I had ever sold my first home. Mm-hmm. And so people always talk about like, how do you, because a lot of times you typically do dual career mm-hmm. for a little while until you get your, um, your feet wet mm-hmm. and then you transition over where for me, I just, I really took the leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And folks always ask me like, how could you do that? Cause I was making six figures mm-hmm. and I was like, for me, it's faith and finances. So right. I prayed on it and I saved on it. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's good. And once I had those two, I just took the leap of faith. And I those, that three-month interim until I quit my job, um, I was working on my real estate business um, daily and creating content and creating my network of, and pipeline of clientele. But then I was like, you know what? I should be good to last me at least six to eight months in mm-hmm. savings. And I shouldn't take that long to sell a house. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, let's do it. And yeah. that's how I transitioned over. Nice. Faith and finance. Wow. that That's good because, I mean, you have to, it's, it's kind of like, you know, doing the work, but also, you know, praying on one hand too. It's like, yeah. you you prepare for the the position that you were, you're getting yourself into. That was awesome. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then, so when you, you know, you went to taking, quitting your job, not having sold your first home to then building your business. Um, how were you able to find mentors throughout that process? Or did you find mentors? Yeah. So my first initial mentor, who's pretty much my go-to mentor to this day was my realtor. Mm-hmm. And so the individual helped me purchase my home was the one who kind of navigated me through that transition to becoming a full-time realtor mm-hmm. and continuously helped me even up to today with building my business. Um, and so, and then after that, just networking with other agents and investors throughout the business, um, closed mouths do not get fed. Mm-hmm. So if you're not seeking mentors, mentors aren't seeking mentees. Mm-hmm. And so you have to let folks know that I want you to be my mentor. When can I take you out to coffee? When can I take you out to lunch? Mm-hmm. And I was actively doing that until I built what I call a board of directors. Mm-hmm. And so my board of directors are my personal life, my financial life, and my professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, folks who I can go to for different questions. And so you got to invest in those relationships. And that's what I do. Mm, that's good. That's good. Your board of directors. And yeah. you, 
you talked a little bit about like taking people out to coffee, closed mouths don't get fed. So what additional advice would you have for someone who is trying to get into business, want to network and also want to find those mentors? I think the first step is creating those relationships. So finding the individuals, this is what, so I knew that I wanted to sell 50 homes or 60 homes a year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't allow someone who was selling 15 to 20 homes to be my mentor. Mm-hmm. I want someone who's accomplishing what I want to accomplish to be the folks who pour into me. So one is goal setting for yourself and figuring out what you want to accomplish and then finding individuals who um, will, who already accomplished what you're trying to accomplish. And then the second thing is once you start nurturing that relationship and they're giving you advice, a lot of times, especially when people meet with me, people don't take the advice that people actually give. Yeah. Like they always have these stigmas that, oh, that probably just worked for them because they went to this or mm-hmm. people tell me all the time, oh, you picked up your clientele because you went to Howard. Yeah. Where only about 20% of my clientele are Howard alone and they don't even know that. Or, oh, that worked for you because you're a guy. Mm-hmm. And so- you tell people stuff, and but people don't actually act on the advice that they're provided. Mm-hmm. And so actually taking the advice mm-hmm. that the mentor gives you and then continuing to nurture those relationships so they can maintain your mentor because mm-hmm. they have so much going on. You have to actively pursue the mentor because the mentor is not going to actively pursue you, especially at first, until the, nature, the relationship is truly nurtured. Mm, that's good. That's good. And what goes into nurturing that relationship? I think it's the continuous phone calls. Mm-hmm. It's the continu- continuous acts of gratitude, whether that's a text message, hey, let me take you out to dinner, uh, whatever it is. And then it's continuously asking questions. Like I'm always asking questions, um, providing some type of resource hey, let's do this training together. Did you see this article? What are your thoughts? So you're providing value to the um, relationship. Ask, how can I provide value? Like, what do you need? And so for my mentor, before I started selling houses, I was his showing assistant. So I showed all the properties that he needed to um, be shown because his bandwidth wasn't long enough. And so being a resource as well to the individual. Mm, that's good. That's good. Being a resource. And it's hard, you know, kind of when you're first starting out something to understand how to mm-hmm. be a resource to someone. Mm-hmm. But if you mm-hmm. can take that time to say, hey, how can I provide value to you? Or, hey, I noticed that, you know, you're spending a lot of time showing homes. Let me do that for you. So be very in tune to kind of their needs and, and what they what they value is is definitely an awesome an awesome point there. Thank you for that. So no talking of, talking about mentors and values, um, you work in the DMV area. So how did you choose this market? Was it you know more of a default because you lived here, or um, what, were there any factors that went into actually practicing here? I think it was twofold because uh-huh. one, it was a default because I lived here. So it's like, might as well start where you live. Mm. But the second component was also like, it costs to become a realtor and it costs Mm. to build a brand and a business. And so for me, it was like, where do I want to be for the next five to 10 years? Mm. 
and it was DC. Like I love DC. I love the young professional network of DC. I love the hustle of DC. Mm-hmm. I love the kinfolk. <laughs> and and so um in being a young black agent, um, I think the good thing about DC is and the DMV is that black people here are very intentional about supporting other black people. We love black owned businesses, we love black owned services. And so, and we're very intentional about spending black. Mm-hmm. And so as a black agent, realtor who wants to build a business and a brand, I think DMV is a place where you could really thrive because folks are super intentional mm-hmm. to seek out someone who looks like them mm-hmm. to provide a service on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that standpoint, having that in mind, that was also something that was um, a key factor in where I should put my, you know, where I should start this business. But even when we think about from the housing market, mm-hmm. the DC housing market is so stable. Yeah. Um, unlike a lot of housing markets where it tends to fluctuate, like any, like the economy does mm-hmm. um, every decade almost, um, because of the type of jobs in the DMV, which is mostly federal government jobs or industries that are contractors of the federal government, or you work at one of the military bases, or you work in health or education, despite the fluctuation in the economy, folks in the DMV gonna keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, which allows the housing market to continuously grow. And so when you see those slow times in other housing markets in Texas and in Georgia and in Michigan and in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. you don't see that fluctuation as much in the DMV. Mm -hmm. And so although being a realtor is considered like a riskier job um, in this market, it's pretty stable. Mm -hmm. And so all those factors in mind, um, AKA Kyle lived in DMV. So he was like, we might as well start here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it made the decision pretty um, easy to make. That's good. That's good. And then switching gears a little bit, talking about kind of home ownership and the home buying journey for people who might be in that process. Um, mm-hmm. Where where should someone start once they've made the decision um, that they want to buy a home? Like, hey, I think I want a house. Like, where is a good place to start for people? The first place to start is to speak with a realtor. And that realtor should be able to connect you with a lender. And that realtor should be able to give you insight into the first time home buyer grants that you should take advantage of if you qualify. That realtor should be able to tell you what areas you should be looking in um, based off your budget or what areas you should be looking in because of the school district. So what area you should be looking in for all the other various reasons. Mm. And so start with an agent Mm. and let's start with a good agent because (laughs) a lot of times I wrote her, wrote her just try to say, Oh, you're looking for a house. Let's get a pre-approval and let's take it to a house Mm -hmm. versus let's sit down and teach you the home buying process. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Let's talk about what goes into your contract. Let's talk about what goes into the steps of home ownership. Let's talk about what to expect once you're a homeowner. Mm. And because that information is critical, but a lot of agents are not seeing that information. Mm. And so if you don't have the right realtor who will sit down and educate you, um, the process may be overwhelming or it may be confusing. And so meeting with a realtor, but meeting with the right realtor, the right realtor, which may mean meeting with multiple realtors until you find the right realtor. Gotcha. Now, what's some telltale signs of a of a bad realtor? So what should people be looking out for? Like, hey, the, not necessarily bad, but maybe not not for them. <laughs> no. How many transactions have you done? Mm. How many transactions have you done in this area? Mm-hmm. How many um, do you know about any first time home buyer grants? If you're a first time home buyer. If you're looking to sell your home, how many homes have you sold in this area? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first one. Let's just get, look, tell me the data. I want to yeah. know the facts about you. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, the individual who's trying to rush you to buy a home, mm-hmm. the individual who's trying to um, tell you, let's start looking at properties tomorrow. Mm-hmm. When you told them your goal wasn't in for five months or eight months or even a year from now. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the signs um, that I would consider red flags. Gotcha. That's good. And so you said, you know, your goal of when you want to buy a home, when is a good time to start communicating when a realtor, maybe a year out, two years out? I know it's like, I don't, you don't want to waste someone's time, but you also want to make sure you're setting yourself up for that. Um, that mm-hmm. transaction. So what's a good time frame to start um, start that journey? Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> like the moment you have a, an inclination that you mm-hmm. want to purchase a home, go speak with a realtor. Gotcha. And the reason why that I say immediately is because even if it's a year out for now, this some first-time homebuyer grants require to, you to do preliminary steps to even begin the home buying process. And those steps can take anywhere between four months to eight months. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at a year out, you want to start that process as soon as possible. You may have some credit issues that you want to resolve. And so you probably won't know until you speak with a realtor and a lender. And then you find out you have those credit issues but if you're not buying for nine months, it gives you nine months to slowly work on it. Mm-hmm. You may have a debt that's hindering you from qualifying. Mm-hmm. And so it's better to start working on that a few months out than the day before. Because even if you have to pay something off today, now you have X amount of months to replenish your savings mm-hmm. in order to purchase the home. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to buy next week, you of course need to speak to a realtor today. (laughs) But if you want to buy a year from now, you should speak with them as well. Because this is going to be the largest purchase that you ever make in your life. Mm -hmm. Why try to um, wait to the last minute to speak with a resource Mm -hmm. where you can um, purposely plan the whole process out and do that well, well in advance so that you are setting yourself up to be in the best 
financial place, the best knowledgeable place to make the right decision when you pull the trigger and purchase a home. Mm, that's good. That's good. Make that preparation is so key. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but even, you know, now preparing is that that's what needs to happen. And that's so Correct. good. Um, One thing, one argument, not argument, but I guess it would be discussion that I've seen a lot is renting versus buying a home. Um, mm. Do you mind talking just a little bit about um, renting versus buying and in what situations is one better than the other? So the realtor slash realtor investor in me will <laughs> always say it makes sense to own. Mm-hmm. And the reason being either way you gonna own, you're, you're going to have an expense. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, if you're paying rent, you have an expense. Mm-hmm. To me, when you're paying a mortgage, you have a savings mm-hmm. because all you're doing is um, paying off something that eventually you will sell and get your money back. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but you're investing into an asset that hopefully is appreciating at a greater rate than what you're paying on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. For example, I bought my house in 2018 mm-hmm. and now in 2021 my house is worth about ninety six thousand dollars more than what i purchased it for that is awesome correct awesome. i have not paid ninety six thousand dollars in mortgage payments mm-hmm. over these past for 20 26 27 months mm-hmm. and so when you think about it from that perspective um, I'm getting almost a hundred percent return mm-hmm. on my investment. And so I don't look at it as an expense. Mm-hmm. It's a savings, mm-hmm. um, that accrues interest. Mm-hmm. And so one to own, you do gain equity. You do have appreciation and you get a, a write-off on your taxes Right. to rent. You don't get any of that. Mm-hmm. You're just paying this expense that eventually allows you to um, end the lease and move seamlessly. But we're in the DMV, even, it, it, it's very easy to sell a house. Yes. Like you're <laughs> not, people feel like, I don't wanna be locked down to a property. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get tired of it, sell it. Or when yeah. you get tired of it, rent it out. Mm-hmm. You have so many options. You get tired of it, Airbnb it. Yeah. Like you don't feel like, I don't feel that I'm stuck because I own these properties. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment I'm tired of it, I'm gonna rent it out, sell it, or figure out a way for it to make me money. Yep. And so I just don't see the benefit of paying a stranger for you to live when you can pay yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for the folks who only plan on being in DMV for one year, maybe you should rent, but even then own a property and then rent it out once you move. Mm-hmm. And so it really just is it's, it's up to you. Um, but I, I genuinely don't really see the benefits of renting gotcha. um, unless you just are someone who just is really scared of commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Not scared of commitment. You took it deep. Yeah. You took yeah. it deep. <laughs> had to, had to, had to, you got to stab him where it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of that, say, you know, we have someone who's like, hey, 
I, okay, I'm not renting anymore. Um, how much do you recommend someone save to buy a home in expensive markets like um, the DMV area? So I tell my clients, look at the average home price in the neighborhood that you wish to live in. And so if the average home is $400,000, try to save up about 4% of that amount, Mm -hmm. which will equate to, in this example, Mm $16,000. And does that mean you're going to spend the whole 16? No. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that 16 will for certain be enough? No. Mm -hmm. But it's to me a good rule of thumb a good place to have a goal to try to accomplish Mm -hmm. pretty much anywhere throughout the country. They have first time home buyer grants Mm -hmm. that you can leverage to subsidize or mitigate your upfront costs. Mm -hmm. However, the 16,000 for me is what any down payment should be the 3% or 3.5%. You do have closing costs, but that closing costs you can, at times get the seller to cover on your behalf but you also have like moving costs once you purchase you also need to pay for a home inspection you also i'm not moving into the house to a home um exterminator comes and spray it down mm-hmm. and i get i get it cleaned up even if they say it's clean i'm gonna get my own cleaning yeah. simply because like people have been walking in your house and so you want to have enough saved up to be able to do those things as well and that's why I tell my clients to try to have at least 4% of the average home price in the neighborhood that you wish to purchase and save up. That's good. That's good. And that's a good rule of thumb. And if you can do more, there's always unexpected expenses that come with a home. So if you can do more, definitely do more. <laughs> definitely like who, do more. I always say, like, what is the, the harm in oversaving? Yes. <laughs> like, how- yes. How can you lose from saving extra money? Mm-hmm. That's so good. That is so good. And another question that I have, you talked a little bit about um, credit when you were saying um, to, you know, talk to a, a, a realtor as early as possible because you might, you know, find some things on your credit and things like that. So um, how do you recommend uh, people build their credit and also research possible home building assistance programs? Um, when it comes to, you know, starting the home buying process. Okay. So how do you build your credit? Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, have a credit card. <laughs> like, let's start with having credit. Mm-hmm. So, and um, keeping your utilization rate at 30% or lower. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? If the max that you can spend on a credit card is $1,000, try not to spend no more than $300 on that credit card. Mm -hmm. Don't go over 300 and try to pay it down on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And so that's the quickest way to build your credit. Um, Do not be afraid to spend on your credit, but only spend what you can pay off at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying on top of your student loans, Mm -hmm. making sure we as millennials hate student loans yes (laughs) and like we're waiting for somebody to bail us out of these student loans but that time that you're waiting to bail for someone to bail you out if you're not 
paying them. Um, when you put like putting your loans in forbearance actually hurts your credit. Mm-hmm. And so um, trying to stay on top of that debt, mm-hmm. stand on top of your car notes, stand on top of your rent, mm-hmm. making sure that, and I see this happen so much in college, folks went to the doctors, whether it was because they had a drunken night and had to go to the hospital or whatever, and they never paid off the portion of the hospital bill that um, the insurance didn't take care of. Mm-hmm. Make sure you don't have those random outstanding balances, mm-hmm. making sure that you don't have a random outstanding balance from the gym because mm-hmm. you cancel your membership, but they charge you for that extra month and you didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that could potentially hinder you. Mm-hmm. But like I say, for the credit cards, is keeping that utilization rate 30% or less. Um, that really helps you build credit. That's good. And then in regards to how different programs, once you speak with the lender, they typically have a partner um, program that helps if you do have poor credit that you need to raise. They should be able to advise you on who to contact um, to build your credit if you do have some of those factors on the credit that's hindering you from building it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And are there any additional kind of recommendations or considerations that you should remember when using assistance programs? Because, for instance, I've heard in the past that, you know, sometimes people frown upon the assistance programs when looking at offers and things like that. So are there any type of considerations that you should take into um, to consideration when you're thinking about these? Absolutely. I tell people all the time, everything that glitters is not gold. <laughs> like this money is, is sort of free. Yeah. <laughs> it's not free, free. <laughs> And so uh, what you'll find is with a lot of the grant programs is if you were not to, if you weren't to use the grant program, your interest rate may be 2.7% on your mortgage. But if you are to use the grant program, your interest rate may be like a 3.3, 3.5. And so now you have a higher monthly payment. And so is it worth taking that free money or um, this loan that you have to repay back um, to subsidize your upfront costs? That's just a question that you have to ask yourself. I took it. Uh, when I purchased my property and it didn't bother me because at the end of the day, I, I was like, okay, if I got to pay back this 9,000, but my home is appreciating at 33,000 to 35,000 a year, what is that one little 9,000 going to do? And so um, that's, it's really personal preference, but understand that you should always look at what would my monthly payment be without the grant program? What would it be with it? And then for me, I go to, I, I, then I start calculating what's the difference. How long does it, will it take for me to keep this property for this grant to make sense? And so as long as you do that, ask the lender that type of question. Is this grant forgiven? Do I have to repay it back? Um, does it enable me from refinancing my home at, for X amount of time. Those are the questions that you wanna ask. Um, 
to determine to use a grant program or to not use a grant program. Mm, that's good. It's very personal too. And don't be afraid to, you know, ask the lender those questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Similar to you, like for me, that wasn't the best option in my situation to take that. Mm. So it really depends on the situation and asking those questions. And, you know, if it works for you, take it. If it doesn't, then don't. And you have that 4% at least that you save, right, to help pay for that. So correct. that's good. That's good. So what are some key things that people should remember when looking for primary residents? Um, so for instance, like, is area important? Or, you know, maybe you're looking at a property is age important. So what are some things that you should look for if you're getting a primary residence? So area to me is number one. Mm-hmm. Don't give me the million dollar mansion. <laughs> location, <laughs> location, and, location. And, and, and I'm smack dead in the middle of the hood. <laughs> um, area is area is almost more important than the home itself. Mm-hmm. You can renovate a home. Mm-hmm. You can't renovate the whole area. <laughs> and so you want to figure out, and that's not to say don't purchase and up and coming areas like mm-hmm. I I am I, I I purchased in the hood let's be mm-hmm. real and so and that's how I've gotten so much equity because now the houses over here are being turned over mm-hmm. at an exponential rate mm-hmm. which is allowing allowing me to receive so much equity and appreciation in my home and but I looked at the data that showed that this neighborhood was going to transform. And so you want to ask your agent, like, what was the, what appreciation has happened over the past five years? Mm-hmm. What commercial entities are coming to this neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Um, how are the schools ranked in this mm-hmm. area? Yeah. Um, those are the questions that you want to determine when purchasing a home mm-hmm. what what's the nearest grocery stores mm-hmm. is it uh, a, a store that caters to low-income folks mm-hmm. or is it a store that caters to middle class and upper class mm-hmm. um what type of jobs do they have over here mm-hmm. and so those are the questions how far is public transportation mm-hmm. Those are the questions you want to ask. And then when it comes to the actual home, um, when you want to get a home inspector to come assess the property mm-hmm. to tell you what's wrong with it. But you want to figure out, like, folks be more concerned about a sink mm-hmm. than they do about the HVAC system <laughs> and the hot water tank and the you roof. You can fix a sink. <laughs> right. You can change a sink mm-hmm. with less than $500. Mm-hmm. But the big ticket items that you want to worry about is your HVAC system, your hot water tank, your roof, um, pretty much those three things. Mm-hmm. Everything else is pretty simple, mm-hmm. one-day task, or it's cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, you can't change the number. I mean, you could, but it's a little difficult to change the number of windows. So make sure it gives enough natural light to pe- your liking. Because some individuals have like different depressions based off natural light. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so like those structural things, you want to make sure your house offers you. Mm-hmm. And outside of, like I say, my three essential things that can be a big ticket items, um, it's the external factors of the house mm-hmm. that are really important when making the decision to purchase. That's good. That's good. And would you say these are the same key factors to look uh, or key items to look for in investment properties as well? Absolutely. Okay, good. And I, I'm, I'm very, it's little things for me. I want to <laughs> see how, who is everybody on the block cutting their grass? Mm, that's good. Do I see more Buicks than Cadillacs? Because I want to be on the block with Cadillacs. <laughs> and so um, those are, I want to see what type of cars are on the block. Mm, that's I want to see who's standing out on the block. Mm-hmm. I want to see if the block looks the same at the daytime as it does at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, you have your neighborhood factors, you have your block factors, mm-hmm. and you have your house specific factors. Mm. That should all go into your criteria of purchasing a home. That's good. That's good. Um, my granddad, he talked about this for a, a grave site, unfortunately, but he said, go have it pour rain, 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 pour heavy, heavy, heavy rain and go look at it and see if it floods. Yeah. So one thing that I looked at when I bought my home was when it rained really, really heavy, I wanted to see where the water was sitting and all of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, during the weather and all that stuff too. So there are little things that you can take into consideration. So, Absolutely. That's good. That's good. So um, one thing I want to talk about, cause we were talking a little bit about, it seems like existing construction uh, homes. So can you explain the pros and cons of new construction versus existing construction? Yeah. That's a good question. So let's start with existing construction homes. So homes that's already been renovated, already been lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, even from the aspect of purchasing. Mm-hmm. When you're buying a home that's already existing, you're buying it from a seller, another human being, mm-hmm. you have a lot more negotiation power as a buyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's the same as buying a carton of juice off the street from a street vendor mm-hmm. versus buying it from Walmart. Mm-hmm. You can't negotiate with Walmart. Mm-hmm. You can negotiate with a street vendor. And so not to say you can't always negotiate price and things with the new development companies, but it's not as easy as it is when negotiating with another um, human being versus a corporation. And so the, that would start there as just attaining the property. There's a, a completely different process. Um, but then once you live in it, it's, it's, it's pros to me about the newer property. I mean, the existing property because the existing property has been lived in before. So if there are some courts that need to be addressed, somebody has addressed them. Versus in a newer property, you're the first person using the hot water tank. You're the first person using the heating system. You're the first person using everything. Yes. And so you expect, oh, because I purchased it brand new, that everything should be perfect. But that's just not the case. No, not at all. These are all (laughs) just machines Mm -hmm. that has kinks that need to be worked out. Mm -hmm. And so... 
you 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 see in both the myth is that the newer home would come with less headaches and that's not true Mm-mm. <laughs> um because a well-maintained home will bring you no headaches because it's been well maintained mm-hmm. and so um do i prefer one over the other no do i want to address the myth that if you buy a new home you won't have any issues yes because yeah. that's not true at all yeah um you have a lot more negotiation power typically mm-hmm. with pre-existing or homes that's already been built for a while you're buying from a home seller versus those that you're buying from these development companies um but at the end of the day it is also good to have the new developments come with its own perks like you have 10-year warranties on certain things five-year warranties on other things that you don't have when you're buying a home from a seller mm-hmm. so that even if something go wrong in the first 10 years that you live in there mm-hmm. most of the stuff can be addressed for free mm-hmm. and so it's pros and cons to both. I think it's all about what will make you happy because either one of them gonna come with his problems. Exactly. <laughs> so which ones will you be happy, happier fixing? Right, right. That's, that's good. And I like that you address that myth and, you know, I just moved into a new construction home and I don't have any big issues, but you know, you notice things and it's like, it would probably be the same way in an existing home. But one reason I personally did not want a new construction home until I got this one, I like it. And one of the reasons why I didn't want one because I couldn't force appreciation into the house. And Mm. so do you mind just talking a little bit about how appreciation works in a new home versus how it works in an existing home? Yeah. So one, a lot of appreciation comes from those external factors that you really can't control. Like you can do the sweat equity to properties and do the upgrades and renovations. Of course, you don't have too many of those options in a new home, Um, but you can do that and to gain some equity. Same with a home that's already existing. You can do the sweat equity. You can add an addition. You can Mm -hmm. plant some plants. You can put up a new fence and redo the kitchen and bathrooms to um, allow for equity. The cool thing about new constructions, what I tell folks, if you can, try to be one of the first people in your community. Yes. (laughs) And because what happens is almost every two to three months, the same exact homes are repriced and they're typically priced up. Mm. And so if you go in at the beginning, you're getting it at the cheapest amount. And then every two to three months when they reprice it, for the two years that it takes to build out the entire community, mm-hmm. you're going to gain so much equity because by that second year point, your exact same home is now being sold sixty and seventy thousand dollars more mm-hmm. than what you purchased yours for. Yeah. And so, if you are looking at a new development, don't we like to, as home buyers, we want to purchase when everything is prettified, like when yeah. everything looks good. That's when we're ready to be in it. Whether it be the neighborhood, whether it be the new development community, we want the we want to buy the home after the Whole Foods come, yeah, and not before. <laughs> yeah. We want to buy after the Trader Joe's is there, not before. But you want to be in these spots before 
they come. You want to be in these new developed communities when they're about to build up everything and you don't have to be inconvenienced for a while because yeah. that's how you get the largest return on your investment. Yeah, that's so good. And this is this is one of the largest purchases you will make in your life. So you might as well get some good return off of Correct. it, you know? Yeah, Correct. so get in early. If you're going new construction route, get in early. Even if you're going existing, get in early before the, the boom of construction comes. So yeah. that's definitely good. Speaking of the boom of construction and everything that's happening, do you mind explaining a little bit about what's happening in the housing market right now? Yeah, so the housing market is just going ridiculous right now. Mm -hmm. Why is that? There's so many factors. One, interest rates are practically free. <laughs> and so interest rates are so low. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's allowing buyers to have far more buying power than they would have any other time. Mm -hmm. Example. My client in December of 2019 was looking to purchase a property and for a $2,000 mortgage, they could not purchase a home more than 330. By February or March of 2020, when interest rates first dropped, that same $2,000 mortgage allowed him to buy a home for $400,000. That's a different neighborhood. That's a two extra bedrooms. That's renovated versus not renovated. And so it's empowering buyers to buy more for the same monthly payment. Um, and so now more folks are like, oh, I should hit the market because of the low interest rates. Not to mention, we've been in quarantine for so long at this point. You started realizing that you've outgrown your space. Mm -hmm. Or you start realizing that everything is just ugly where you are. And so you just want a fresh start. And so that added a ton of buyers and sellers to the market. Um, not to mention every four years, something happens. Mm -hmm. We have a new presidential election. Yeah. And so, and every two years you're up with voting for one third of the Congress. And so us being in a very transit city, um, there are always people coming in and out um, because of the political parties. And now that means new lobbyists that supports these political entities and new contractors and new individuals who are just gonna work for the politicians. Yeah. And so you constantly see that flow of individuals who add to the demand of housing. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we still have Amazon's second headquarters Mm. moving to the DMV. Mm -hmm. And so that's 40,000 new jobs. Wow. Those folks need a place to live. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about all of these different entities, um, this market really right now, there's not enough inventory to keep up with the demand. These new constructions were typically used to be like your guaranteed place to be able to find a home now they come on they open up a week later 300 lots have been sold in one week and so the demand is just so high that the inventory can't keep up 
Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. And also, you know, since we are in a seller's market, how can buyers ensure their offers are going to be accepted? So what are some key things that, you know, buyers might look for, or if you're, you know, help assisting a buyer, consulting a, uh, a seller, excuse me, of things that you'll say, okay, yeah, go with this guy. <laughs> no, good question. So it's one, as I tell people, your agent is so important mm-hmm. um, because after a while, everybody knows a realtor. Mm-hmm. My cousin's a realtor. Somebody at my church is a realtor. Mm-hmm. This person's a realtor. But it's after a while amongst realtors, the network becomes very small when it comes mm-hmm. to top producers. Mm-hmm. And so you, I've, got in clients' property simply because I worked with the agent mm-hmm. on other transactions. Mm-hmm. And so having a realtor who has a good brand, a good reputation, who can speak on your behalf, who has the network to get you off-market deals, to get you deals where, hey, Mr. Agent, you rub my back, I rub your back. Um, because as realtors, we like to work with our friends too. You know, and so if I can help you as much as possible to get you the business, I want to see my realtor friends do well in life. And so having that network is huge. But as the client, outside of you hiring a realtor who can provide you that um, level of credibility, um, the second component is, is having good financing, working with a reputable lender and not one, two, three, I loan money.com. <laughs> um, because as a seller, I don't know about those people. Right. They may not be good on their word. They may say they're only going to take 21 days to process the loan and it's taking two months. So having a reputable lender. Um, the third thing is different nuances about the contract, your earnest money deposit. And so that's a financial consideration that's attached to your contract and so that ensures the seller that you won't just back out the contract on a random Tuesday and change your mind because they can keep that money and so the more money you put up as that security deposit to the contract the more likely you won't back out the contract that's good And, good. and so increasing that amount um, minimizing the number of contingencies that you have in the contract because the mm-hmm. contingencies allow you to be able to back out the contract and get that earnest money deposit back. Mm-hmm. So the least amount of contingencies, the least amount of ways that you'll be able to back out the contract, mm-hmm. the stronger your offer looks. And mm-hmm. so people always think it's about that someone paying a higher amount. Mm-hmm. It's not always about the higher amount. It's about the reputation. It's about the security and you being in a contract. It's about um, being able to show that you have money to actually purchase the home. Um, Those things. It's about telling your story. I've gotten client offers accepted because we wrote the seller a letter Mm -hmm. and it was 12 offers and we made it personal. We brought an emotional attachment to it. They had two twins who, I mean, a, a set of twins who are adorable put that sweater twins picture in his <laughs> offer yes because that emotional attachment 
gives you an extra push when you're trying to stand up amongst 10, 30, 40 offers, which is normal in this area. That's good. And in episode one of the podcast, Jackie was actually on Jackie Alston, and that's how her offer went through. She, her realtor advised her to attach a letter, you know, telling her story, and that's how she got the home. So yeah, those letters, man, they be working. Yeah, they do. <laughs> All they right. Do. Go and ahead. Just because it didn't work the first eight times mm-hmm. does not mean a ninth time it, it would. It won't. Mm-hmm. every seller is different and i tell my clients that all the time like seller a has no connection to seller b and seller b has no connection to seller c seller a and b may only be in it for the money seller c is a older person who just wants somebody who can maintain their home yeah that's good. and so don't when you if you lose out on the property don't allow that experience to dictate your actions mm-hmm. for the next home don't allow the don't think that the questions that you ask for property A are still relevant for property B. Mm-hmm. Because every individual is different. Mm, that's good. That's good. And I know we're coming up a little bit on time. We're actually a little over time. So I'm gonna ask you my last two questions that okay. I ask everyone that comes on the show is what's the best piece of financial advice that you never received? So, you know, people have said things and you've learned it along the way and you're like, I wish somebody would have told me that. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) What is the best piece of financial advice that I never received? Don't be afraid to pay taxes, especially Mm. as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Entrepreneurs think that it's smart to avoid taxes, mm-hmm. but avoiding taxes means that you avoid it showing your legitimacy in financing. Mm-hmm. And when you don't show that legitimacy, unless you can buy a property in cash, the lenders aren't going to loan you any money because you don't have any financial records to prove that you actually made the amount that you made. And so I see so many entrepreneurs um, deducting, writing off everything to save them money from paying taxes. But then they made a million dollars. But when it's time to show that income, they only show that they made $20,000. So technically to the world, you're poor. Mm -hmm. And so um, for my entrepreneurs out there, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to pay taxes because that's how you legitimize your money and that record is what the banks use to provide you a mortgage that record is what um car dealers use to give you a car note and so nobody really talks about that Mm. and we always talk about just writing stuff off so you don't have to pay the man Mm. but realistically we need those documents to be able to get mortgages and the mortgages can be used to create more income. Right. And so don't be afraid to do taxes and hire a professional and pay taxes. 
Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. One of my one of the people that I love and I follow a lot, his name is Graham Stephan. I've talked to him on the show. He's a YouTube guy. Um, he said it bit him in the butt one time where he took so many uh, deductions where he couldn't, you know, front or show the income for what he wanted to get. So, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely agree with you. And then finally, what's next for you? You have this booming, booming, booming real estate empire that you're building. What's next on your list? I got so much. I <laughs> want to continue to purchase more real estate investment properties. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to continue expanding my real estate team, mm-hmm. eventually serve other markets. I would love to serve in Chicago and in LA. Mm-hmm. Um I want to continue going into educating real estate professionals on how to build and grow their business in a short mm-hmm. amount of time, like I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I love serving my clients, but I'm mm-hmm. just as passionate about helping others accomplish their goals. That's good. And in, in that professional space, I want to see more folks um, (laughs) do well in it and be inspired and understand that, especially um, folks, I'm just going to say folks that look like us in high school and elementary school, I want them to know that you can be in your 20s and make really good money legally. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and real estate is something you don't have to go get a JD. You don't have to take out all these student loans, and you can do really well. And we we don't talk, people don't know that. And so I would love to get to a point where not only am I coaching and mentoring professionals, but mentoring those college and high school students about how to start careers in real estate, um, because. Realtors aren't going to the college campus and recruiting like your corporate 500 companies. And we don't see that as a profession until 10 and 15 years down the road. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Just showing the options. There are so many options. We've had on this show so many people who do just great and very interesting things. So there are so many options out there that a lot of times we aren't talking about so that'll be something that i'm looking forward to seeing you do and i know it's gonna it's gonna be awesome when you when you get it started i appreciate it and yeah of course i think i just appreciate being able to like come on the show and talk to you and engage um i love this field and this Mm -hmm. profession and so i love having opportunities to just talk about it That's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you so much, Kyle, for being on the show. We've enjoyed our conversation and I'll put all of Kyle's stuff in the, in the uh, show notes. So you might get flooded with some new clientele, hopefully. (laughs) Thank you, Candice. And thank you to everyone who's out there listening. All right, y'all. Didn't I tell you Kyle came spitting facts today? If you didn't have your pen and paper, don't worry. I have those top 10 tips for you all. All right, so tip one is when switching careers and starting a new endeavor, think about what image you want to have and what your personal brand should look like. 
Tip two is to seek out mentors and take them to coffee or lunch to create your board of directors. Invest in your relationships. Tip three, when looking for mentors, first set a goal for yourself and what you want to accomplish. Then look for people who are already achieving those goals you've set for yourself. Tip four is if you're purchasing your first home, start with first talking to a good realtor to learn about the first time home buying process. Tip five is if you're looking to buy a home in an expensive market, look at the average home price in that neighborhood you want to live and save about 4% of that average home price. Tip six, if you want to buy a home and have to build or repair your credit, speak with a lender. They should be able to recommend programs for you to get started on that journey. Tip seven is when looking at potential homes, area may be the most important factor to consider. Tip eight, also when looking at potential homes, pay attention to the big ticket items like HVAC systems, roofs, etc. Tip nine, don't believe the myth that the new construction home will bring you less headaches. And our final tip for today is when looking to secure a property in a competitive market, make sure you have a good realtor with an even better network, work with a reputable lender, put more money down for the earnest money deposit, minimize the number of contingencies in your contract, and tell your story. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode this week. Look, we want to see y'all back next week, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it with your mama and them. We're over here saving, investing, paying off debt, and living our best lives. So I'll see you next week.